Welcome to the Bowl Season Stories Podcast, Season 2, Episode 20. I'm Nick Carparelli, the Executive Director of Bowl Season, and today we are joined by National College Football Writer for The Athletic, Matt Fortuna, University of Southern Mississippi running back Frank Gore Jr., and the President and CEO of the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, Gary Stoken. Today's show is brought to you by Sport Radar, reimagining immersive experiences for sports fans and betters. Our first guest, currently covers National College Football for the Athletic. He also covered Notre Dame and the ACC for ESPN.com and was the 2019 president of the Football Writers Association of America. Please welcome to the show, Matt Fortuna. Matt, thanks for joining us. Nick, thanks for having me. I'm clearly the undercard here, especially with Frank Gore Jr. Uh, coming up after me, but uh, I'm sure we'll get to talking about him and all the other great bowl performances of this season. Absolutely. We're, we're excited to have have him. I'm excited, excited to talk to you. Not, not like it's been a long time since we spoke. Uh, I know you're at the, at the CFP National Championship. You and I had a chance to visit on the sidelines a little bit pregame. We both agreed at that time that Georgia was likely to win, but did you ever expect the game to be as lopsided as it was? No, Nick, I didn't. You know, I I got a lot of vibes going into that game of um, game I covered exactly 10 years earlier, Notre Dame, Alabama, and really in the lead up to it. Right. Notre Dame had this kind of charmed out of nowhere run at the time. They had not been a winning program at that high of a level for a while. Um, nor had TCU. They had not been to a bowl game, I think, since 2018. And they kind of came out of nowhere this year under a first year head coach. And the similarities with Georgia and Alabama to me were. If you remember the 2012 SEC title game, which was essentially a playing game, Georgia finished, I think, four yards away from being Alabama. And to this day, Aaron Murray and everyone on that team talks about watching that national title, that BCS title game, thinking, oh, my God, like we would have killed Notre Dame if we finished a job against Alabama. And I kept coming back to that thought uh, on Monday night about Ohio State because they were one point away. It had a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter from knocking off a Georgia team that looked unbeatable just a few nights later. So um, it, it goes to show you, you know, the ball bounce is funny sometimes on anyone's best night. Um, you could put up a performance like that. I, I thought Georgia would win by double digits. Um, I thought their offense would have its way against TCU's defense. I expected more from TCU's offense. I mean, uh, we're talking about window dressing here, right? But I thought it'd be closer to, you know, 52-28 rather than 65-7, uh, especially when they scored on their second drive of the game on, on a Max Duggan keeper. So it was a little disappointed in TCU's offense and overall performance that night. But um, when they look back on this season, they'll have a lot to be proud of. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree with you. Well, obviously the 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 playoff gets a lot of attention, uh, as it should. But when you look at the big picture of college football and all the changes that have happened and are, and are coming in the next few years, what is your view of bowl games in general and the role that they continue to play as college football's postseason, especially the bowls not involved in the CFP, right? There's four spots in the playoff now. There's going to be 12. Is that enough to serve all of college football or do the the, the rest of the bowl games have, have, a, have a greater meaning? Yeah, Nick, I, I don't think the bowl games will, will, will be diminished with a bigger playoff field. I think you know, the playoff will be enhanced more by more, more teams being involved with it. But, but you know, I, you know, we mean you talked a little bit about Dave Clawson, you know, uh, when we were back in L.A. And, and how much the bowl season means to him. And I don't think he's unique among his breed in that regard. I think coaches really put a lot into this. I mean, I look at uh, Kansas, which obviously came up on the, the short end of the stick against Arkansas and Liberty Bowl. 
But what a great season they had. What a great opportunity they had to get a marquee win against an SEC team. And what was arguably the best bowl game of them all this year. I mean, that game was absolutely insane. And watching that one on my couch at home, uh, you know, I had no dog in the fight, but, you know, the more chaos, the better is a neutral observer. And and that one certainly lived up to the billing in that regard. Uh, you know, I look at something as silly and benign as the Duke's Mayo Bowl. I mean, whoever's in charge of their PR team, can, can I'd love to be, be in business with because I, I don't like Mayo. I personally find it repulsive. I never even heard of Duke's Mayo before the bowl game. And yet I watched that game from start to finish and the branding and the way the broadcast talked about it and the way both coaches embraced the the post-game scene there, uh, in Mike Loxley's case, actually going through with it after victory, uh, was great theater. It was great television. And certainly that win meant a lot to Maryland's players as well. So, um, yeah, I I know there's a a saying out there that there's too many bowl games and some people roll their eyes at some of the the, the funny titles and whatnot, but um, I get a kick out of it. I mean, as a, a guy who loves this sport, a guy who makes his living off this sport, um, you know, the sooner the bowl season starts, the better. The more bowl games there are, the better, because I've got my TV on for, for darn near every one of them. Yeah, that's uh, I couldn't agree more. Obviously, there's so many examples we could give. You know, I'm, you know, on the high end, I'm thinking about, you know, what the win in the Cotton Bowl Classic meant, means to a program like like Tulane or, or even more traditional programs a win in the Capital and Orange Bowl. For a team like Tennessee, as they're trying to build, it's a reward for a phenomenal season. Uh, I think it's for some programs, it's also a launching point for the next season. Do, do you do you agree with that? I, I think so. Yeah, I think, you know, I don't know if that's as true now as it used to be just because with the transfer portal and instant eligibility, um, the rosters turn over so quickly. You're seeing players you know, tweet out their declarations from the locker room, essentially, right when their seasons are over. Uh, but but I do think there's something to be said for that. I mean, you look at a, a program like Mississippi State, I know this is an extreme example, but for them to come back in the fourth quarter and punctuate that win over Illinois, I believe in the Reliaquest Bowl, the way they did, that was the first game for their new head coach. And you can't tell me that doesn't have a galvanizing effect on that program moving forward, especially in light of a very tragic circumstance. So I, I do think there's definitely some truth to that So. Yeah, you, you mentioned Coach Clawson uh, earlier. You talk to coaches all the time. What value do you think they put on a bowl trip? And obviously, it's, it's very different depending on the program, right? But they all get extra practices, um, that you know, which really gives them some momentum to, to get the young guys ready for the next season. It's almost like a second spring practice. Gives them a little bit motivation for next season. What do, what do you hear from the coaches when you talk talk to them about it? I think it means a lot to every coach. And I, th- I think program to program, they have different priorities, right? And I think they mean different things to different people. But you look at a program like Wisconsin, um, that's a roster filled with players who had three different head coaches this year. Uh, and, and they were ready to to basically find out their fate, right? Jim Leonard was the interim coach for a while. Um, they liked Jim Leonard. They also liked Paul Chris. And unfortunately for both those coaches, they didn't get the head job. But um, to land a coach the caliber of Luke Fickle, and to have him coach a bowl game immediately, I'm not sure I've seen that since like Brian Kelly did it at Cincinnati back in like 2006 or 2007 uh, and led them to a victory as well. Uh, but but for Wisconsin to, to punctuate, which was a very rocky season on and off the field with a strong win, and then to give Jim Leonard the send off for Luke Fickle to bring him uh, on the stage at the trophy ceremony and give some quotes as well, I thought was a, a classy touch. I, I think that meant a lot uh, for that locker room and that program, given everything that they've gone through. Well, we've talked uh, a lot about this season, but we like to talk on this this podcast about your memories of bowl seasons in the past, right? You, you've you've been to a lot of games. You've certainly watched a lot of games. Um, some are better than others, obviously. Do you have any favorite memories 
from watching or covering bowl games over the years? Yeah, Nick, it's got to be, and it's fitting. Uh, this guy just got announced that he's going to the Hall of Fame on Monday in L.A., Reggie Bush. It, it, it's got to be that infamous Texas-USC Rose Bowl uh, to cap the 2005 season. I mean, I remember watching that play for play. I was in high school at the time, and, and I think for my generation, really most generations, that was kind of the defining game of that era of college football, that whole year between the Bush push and that game later on um, really stuck with you. But I remember, I think I was a junior in high school, and look, that game ended late, right? I was still, you know, 16, 17 years old. I remember getting to my classroom the next morning. And again, the Stone Age, right? Pre-Twitter, pre-everything. You only really got your news from newspapers, which weren't always getting the scores in uh, in the next morning's edition. And my, I specifically remember my homeroom teacher coming in and saying, um, so how much did USC win by? I went to bed when they were up 12. And you don't get that moment really at the water cooler anymore because of uh, the way the media world is. But it, it speaks to just how improbable that comeback was. And to watch Vince Young put that program on his back and it really carried them to victory. And that game just grows with each passing year, right? We've seen so many documentaries and books written about the star power there, the star power that was on the sidelines, the NFL careers that, that, that came out of that game. That one, above all else, will always hold a special place in my heart. Yeah, I, I reference that game a lot, too. And of course, there's there's a debate now of, of playoff games being on campus versus bowl games. You know, I, you know, I, I can't argue campus games are great environments, but they're great. They're great environments for one fan base, not so much the other team. Right. You know, I, I think bowl games are so unique. We, we've all been in the buildings where, you know, and in the first you know 10 minutes of the game, even the other night was like that. You have half the stadium, one color, half the other. There's never a dull moment. Right. When one team's playing well, it's loud. When the other team's playing well, it's loud. And in that game, uh, you mentioned that Rose Bowl really sticks out to me as that that the atmosphere in the building was just electric every second. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's funny. I, I have to I guess we'll call us a confession since since I'm on your podcast. I've actually never been to a Rose Bowl, and that's always been my favorite game. You obviously can set your clock to it um, every New Year's Day. And I went to Penn State, so they made it this year. And I'm thinking, oh, what a great opportunity to go. But because of the calendar this year, uh, the game was moved off Sunday to Monday, which was the second, which was my child's fourth birthday. And I thought, man, if I miss if I miss my kid's birthday in the same week in which I'm already going to L.A. for the national title game later that week, I'll never be allowed back home. So uh, at least I got to see my alma mater watch uh, win while at my kid's birthday party. Everyone had a fun day in that regard. Uh, but but that's definitely a bucket list item for me as far as environment and getting to see that infamous sunset, which I guess we were kind of robbed of this year with, with the rainy conditions, but no less special of a, of a game in the night. Yeah, I, I was there. No sunset this year, but I had some in the past and it's uh, it's spectacular. Uh, last question for you, Matt. Um, we like to talk about mentors. You know, you, you've had a, a great uh, career as a journalist so far. You've got a lot of years ahead of you. You're, you're not uh, you're, you're you're on the on the younger side of the sports writer group. But tell, tell me about some of your your mentors, people you looked up to uh, as you were trying to enter the profession. And then as you've uh, moved along in your career, people that have either helped you out or that you've looked looked for to uh, to become who you are today. So you teed me up nicely here because I'm looking over your shoulder and I'm looking over my shoulder. And we both have the same book uh, about the history of the balls that was authored by Malcolm Moran, uh, who was my college advisor at Penn State. He directed the sports journalism program. Uh, and I feel like I owe that man everything. I really do. Um, you know, having him in your corner was such a great bonus. Um, got to take class with him. He actually, if you notice this year, if you saw him, he had two students with him covering the game. At, from, he now works at IUPUI. Uh, but my senior year, me and uh, my colleague, Nate Mink, who 
uh, cover Syracuse, the program near and dear to your heart. Uh, he brought us as seniors to cover the final four in Houston down in 2011. Uh, and just what an incredible experience as a college student to be in that environment, uh, to see how professionals, you know, went about their job to see a historic uh, performance like Kemba Walker and get to write about that. Um, you know, I, I owe a lot to him. I owe a lot to a lot of the people I worked with at the daily collegian, uh, at, at Penn state, uh, to Corey Geiger at, at the Altoona mirror uh, at the time I was his intern while in college and learned how to cover the baseball beat, which I don't cover baseball anymore, but I feel like if you can cover that sport, well, you can cover everything well, because I was covering a really bad baseball for, for a couple summers in the row in a row. Um, and you're showing up every day and you're asking people at kind of their lowest moments to relive them night after night after night and having to create content off that. So uh, I think you, you kind of earn your stripes that way. Uh, and yeah, I've, I've just been really, really lucky. I have, I, I was, you know, blessed to have six years at ESPN crazy enough to finish my sixth year at the athletic, which, uh, you know, in some ways it went by real quick in other ways, just yesterday, I was one of six people in a boardroom in the college football playoff meeting room, Bill Hancock allowed us to use a boardroom there to essentially have our first ever meetings as we were trying to launch this website, which we weren't sure anyone would understand or read at the time, but I think it's turned out pretty well for everybody. Uh, but, but yeah, I, uh, nights like Monday night, even with the score being what it was, I always remind myself how blessed and lucky I am to, to get to do this for a living um, and, and to get to be around so many talented people. Yes. Well, well, you do it very well, Matt. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for everything you do for college football. You do a great job covering the sport. And uh, I look forward to uh, running into you on the uh, on the spring circuit uh, uh, on the road at the conference meetings. Absolutely, Nick. Always a pleasure, my friend. All right. Take care. We're going to take a short break and be right back with University of Southern Mississippi running back Frank Gore Jr. Stay with us. After bowl season comes tax season. And this year, you too can feel like a winner with a guaranteed max refund from Tax Act, the official tax filing software of bowl season. Go to taxact.com to get started today and for details and disclosures on the maximum refund guarantee. Welcome back to the show. Our next guest just completed his sophomore season at the University of Southern Mississippi. He was born in Miami and played both quarterback and running back in high school and is the son of former NFL great Frank Gore Sr. Please welcome to the show Southern Miss running back Frank Gore Jr. Frank, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, it's our it's our pleasure. Well, the thing I didn't mention in the introduction is probably one of the things you're most known, known for now and something people aren't going to forget for a long time. You set a new bowl game rushing record with 329 yards in, in Southern Mississippi's 38-24 win over Rice in the Lending Tree Bowl. It's pretty impressive given the fact that bowl games have been around for over 100 years. Tell me, what did you feel during the game or when did you feel during the game that you were in a pretty good rhythm to have such a great game and lead your team to that win? Did you know early on? Did you feel it? Or, or were you kind of oblivious to it as the game was going on? Uh, the previous game, the game that we had to get to to make a bowl game, I had 199 yards. And uh, my goal was just to get that one extra yard and get 200 yards before ending the season. And somehow the Lord blessed me with getting 300. But uh, I feel like Early in the game, I feel like I knew I was gonna have a big game because my O line, they're they're opening lanes and they're like I was coming through the holes untouched, so I felt pretty comfortable and I was able to get in the groove as the game kept going. Yeah, well, that that that's that was pretty obvious. You you were you were in a unbelievable. <laughs> well, that was your first bowl. Game. That was your first bowl game experience. Obviously, you know the 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 game in its entirety was awesome because of the record. 
What were some of the best moments from your time there? Was it a play or a moment on the sideline interacting with your guys? Or maybe it was, you know, people turn on the TV and they watch bowl games. They don't realize you guys are there for three or four days, having a lot of fun with your teammates. Maybe it was something that stood out to you during the days leading up. What do you, what do you remember the most? I'll say, I'll say the whole experience, just like being not in your, your suit, not being in Hattiesburg, being in Mobile, but with the same group of guys that I'm with in Hattiesburg. So moving the scenery, I feel like that was pretty cool. And that was the most exciting thing for me and my teammates. You know, we get to see new things while we're together. And I feel like that was pretty fun, though. It's kind of like going on vacation with uh, some of your best friends, right? A hundred of them. Yeah, 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 exactly like that. So then after the game, you're getting interviewed by Alyssa Lang from ESPN. Uh, Your aunt comes running into the shot, clearly very excited about your performance. You had to calm her down a little bit. It was kind of a fun moment. I, I laughed when I saw it. But I think it's an example of what bowls mean to players and their families, right? It's not just you there. It's a big deal to your family. Tell us what that trip meant to your aunt, your family, your dad, everybody who came to watch you there. Uh, it meant a lot uh, to my family, even the family who didn't get to come to, the, uh, come to the game because, you know, all bowl games are on national TV. They're televised and they're easy to watch. So, I feel like my whole family, not only my aunt and my dad who, who came, I feel like my whole family got the chance to enjoy, to watch me play and to do something great at and breaking the record. Now, how important was the bowl experience for you and your teammates as far as uh, giving you a reward for a successful season and maybe even with that victory launching you into the next season? How important was that opportunity you. to, you know, play practice another couple of weeks uh, play another game and then get kind of kind of give you a little head start to next year. Uh, I feel like for for Southern Miss program that was a very 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 big jump start to where we're going because I feel like previous years we haven't had much success. So I feel like having that bowl game and not only having the bowl game but winning the bowl game show like all the young guys that that we can have we can have success and we're immune. We're ready for the success. We just have to come in and work hard and get it done. Now, I was impressed in your first answer. You mentioned your your old line and you gave them credit. Who are some of the unheralded guys on your team who had a big role in the season in the bowl win? Teammates who maybe don't get the limelight uh, as much as you did, but were really uh, important to your success. Our entire defense, like our entire defense, and then we had guys like Jason Brownlee, uh, Jacarius Cast and Ty Mims. Uh, we just had a bunch of guys, and then we had a bunch of uh, 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 quarterback problems. So that that le- didn't lead guys to have much success that they're going to have this year when we won't have any quarterback problems. But I feel like a lot of our guys uh, grinded out the season. I'm proud of them. They showed a lot to me and to our teammates as well. And to, and to everybody who watched the bowl game, there's a couple million people who, who watched it. Yeah. Now, your dad, of course, played at the University of Miami. Uh, what advice do you get from him in terms of your overall preparation? What has he shared with you about his time in college and, and the bond he had with his teammates and, that's helping you now? Uh, my dad, yeah, he helped me a lot. Uh, I feel like I feel like he's always there for me. Just like, I, of course, he let me figure out things on my own. He let me go and like, try to work the world out to myself, but uh, he feel like he's been there before. So if he have any pointers or tips or anything, like uh, anything, I just have to listen to it because he's been there and he's seen this before. So 
I just try to listen to it. But my dad mainly just tell me, work hard, stay humble, and be respectful to everyone. That's the main thing you tell me every day. It's good advice. Can't go wrong with those things. But we got the last yeah. question for you, Frank. Um, great season, obviously great bowl performance. Uh, you're, you're not done yet uh, at Southern Miss. What are your goals now? What's next for you? Uh, have you made any decisions about you know next season and beyond? Uh, uh, my main goal right now, I don't have any personal goals. You know, that comes with as you continue to train throughout the offseason. But my main goal right now is to just equip everyone to be ready to play for the Sun Belt Championship because I feel like that's what we need and that's what we have to get. I think you guys have an excellent shot. I know. I know everybody's going to be watching you guys after what you did personally, you did as a team. You're going to be kind of a team to watch next year, which is a little bit different position to be in, a little bit more pressure, but uh, it's one I'm sure you're embracing. Well, yes. Frank, thanks so much for joining us. I know you're busy. You just came out of a workout. Not surprised there. I really, uh, really had a lot of fun watching you in the bowl game. Can't wait to watch you next year. So uh, keep going, buddy. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Our final guest is the president and CEO of the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, Gary Stoken. Gary, welcome to the show. Nick, thanks for having me. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. You've been with the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl for more than 24 years now. How have you seen the bowl grow uh, and, and have a bigger and bigger impact in Atlanta over the years? Well, it's interesting. This, this was my 25th bowl game, and uh, we had the University of Georgia. And in my first bowl game in 1998, we had the University of Georgia. But in 1998, the AJC, the headline was Georgia going to a third-tier bowl game, the Peach Bowl. And then 25 years fast forward, we host the uh, national semifinal, the CFP, with Georgia number one in the country. So it's been a great ride, interesting stories along the way, and um, very happy to be a part of what now has become very influential in Atlanta with being the most charitable bowl organization in the country. Uh, back then, we made $398,000 back in 1998. We're making a lot more now, but we were able to give $6.1 million back to charity this year, which is $61 million since 2002. This year's game was one of the greatest games we've seen in the CFP era, if not bowl history. In fact, I just saw today the viewership of the championship game and it looks like your game is the most watched college football game of the entire year. Uh, pretty awesome. How does a great game like that, including a fantastic ending, help your promotion and the continued growth of the event? Yeah, I think it's a credit to all the bowl system for, um, you know, the both semifinal games, the Verbo Fiesta Bowl and the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl to have record numbers. Uh, out of all the 100 broadcasts, top 100 broadcasts in the country, the uh, play Peach Bowl was 36th and the Verbo Fiesta Bowl. Um, and the only other game that was ahead of us this year was the national championship on January 1 of Georgia and Alabama of last, last January. So, um, yeah, it's great for college football to have those kind of viewership numbers. And we were the 20th, uh, one of the top 20 broadcasts on cable TV of all time. So football is alive and well, as you know, and it uh, will continue to grow through the new playoff system, I think. 
No, no doubt about it. This year's win by Georgia certainly wasn't the only fantastic game you've had uh, in your career with the Peach Bowl history. What What are some of the other matchups that really either set the bar for the classic results and the results over the years or 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 some that were just most memorable to you personally? It's really interesting. I think we've had between the Chick-fil-A kickoff games and Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, we've uh, we've started a couple dynasties. Uh, in 2008, when we started the kickoff game, Clemson, Alabama played, and uh, Clemson was ranked number nine. Alabama was borderline 25th. Nick Saban was coming into his second season and had finished seven and six the year before. And uh, they went in and beat uh, Clemson 34 to 10. They were on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And that, Nick Saban would tell you if he were sitting here today, that was the really the start of their dynasty because the next year in the Chick-fil-A kickoff game, they were number five, beat number seven, Virginia Tech, and then won the national championship. And then in, in the case of Clemson, in 2013, there was a term that was used in college football called Clemsoning, which Clemson would lose close games at the end of the, at the, end of the game. And in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl in 2013, they beat number five LSU uh, on a fourth and 16 pass uh, from Taj Boyd to, uh, to Hopkins. They kicked the uh, field goal, won the game 13 to 12. Came out the next year, beat Georgia, who was a top 10 team. Clemsoning is no longer in the uh, dictionary. And Clemson, as Dabo Sweeney would tell you, that was the start of their run, beating two high-ranked SEC teams back-to-back. So we've had a role in two of the big dynasties in college football of Clemson, Alabama. The new 12-team college football playoff will certainly take things to a new level. Uh, tell us your view of a 12-team playoff, how it impacts the Peach Bowl, and also touch on the importance uh, to keep as many playoff games as possible in bowl games. Well, I'd really like to see all the bowls get a chance to host the uh, the first-round games as well as the quarters and semis. Based on the proposed format, the New Year's Six games, of which were one. We would host a quarterfinal, a quarterfinal, and then a semifinal every three years. Um, we're going to have a great 2024. We'll open up with Clemson and um, Georgia in our kickoff game, end the season with uh, the quarterfinal Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl in 2024. And then we'll host uh, the national championship in Atlanta uh, that year. So it's going to be a great year for us. I do have some concern that without the Bulls being a part of the system, that there will be a, uh, a loss of interest in some of the bowl games. And I think the bowl games have been so instrumental in providing experiences for, uh, for players um, and, and unique experiences. You know, like this year, we took both teams to Ebenezer Baptist Church, uh, which you're not supposed to put the teams together, but to have them, sitting together in Ebenezer Baptist Church where Dr. King was the pastor and spoke from the pulpit. And to hear from Andy Young, who was one of the top eight people with Dr. King, talk about unity and teamwork. And uh, and then also hear from Bill Curry about 10 men in the huddle. How uh, You may have a kid from uh, the streets of Compton in L.A., a black kid and a white kid from the hills of North Carolina. 
and a Jew and a Christian and a Catholic and a Muslim all in the same huddle. But none of that matters because they all need each other to make that play work and to win that game. And so just a, a lesson of how society should be uh, in, in such a divisive society we're in, how football is really a unifier. And you see teams talk about in the locker room how they're a brotherhood. There's so many great teaching things that college football does. that, And the bowl games highlight that uh, experiences for all the players. So we've got to keep the bowl system alive and we've got to keep it healthy. And a great way to do that would be to have the bowls be a part of the first-round games of the new 12-team playoff. There's no, no doubt about that, Gary. You know, I know you're a college football fan first. Uh, we all are at heart. You're also a bowl traditional, traditionalist. You mentioned – you know, your early days at the Peach Bowl, the level of that game at that time is still really important to you and everyone, even at that point. Uh, in your view, what's the importance that will continue to be played by bowls not involved in the CFP? We have 130 institutions. There's only 12 slots in the playoff. We need more opportunities than that for college football, don't we? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The NCAA, you know, they let um, 69 teams in which I think is a little bit over 25% of the teams in uh, college basketball. But here we are with only four teams in a playoff. It's still even moving to 12 teams. It's not the percentages that the other sports have competing in, um, in, in a, you know, in our case, the bowl system. So it's very important that I think they look at how we increase the uh, opportunity for players. Like we call it, we call it a reward for the players. And we use a theme, live, laugh, and learn. We want the kids to live great, get great gifts, live in great hotels, play in a first-class facility, travel first class. We want them to laugh. So we have a battle for Bull Week. We're a competition every night. And then we want them to learn. And whether it's taking kids to Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, taking them to College Football Hall of Fame so they can aspire to be in the Hall of Fame, because some of those kids that play in our games will be inducted, you know, in the next 15 or 20 years. And then also take them to Ebenezer Baptist Church where they learn uh, a history lesson from people that were actually involved in the civil rights movement. Those are all key ingredients to people growing, expanding. I'll use a basketball analogy, but when I played in North Carolina State in basketball, we went to NIT and our coach after our practice said, okay, boys, get a shower, we're going to Broadway. We were all excited. We were 17, 18, 19 years old, first time in New York and Broadway. He said, yeah, we're going to a Broadway play. And we said, what? We don't want to go to a Broadway play. We didn't come to New York to go to a Broadway play. But I will tell you, from that day until this, every time I'm in New York, which is once or twice a year, I go see a Broadway play. So it expanded my horizons of, you know, uh, Broadway and, and the entertainment opportunities. So it's just a small example of how you never know what's going to click with a kid at 17, 18, 19 years old. It's going to make his life more meaningful. And for our kids to go back into Children's Health Care of Atlanta during the holidays where those kids didn't get out for Christmas and they're never going to get out of that hospital. Um, you know, it's very meaningful for these kids to learn how to give back during the holiday season. So, so many great things with, with bowl season and, and college football that we've got to keep giving these kids opportunities to be a part of something special. 
Last question for you, Gary. Uh, we've all had a lot of great experiences, a lot of great mentors along the way. What's the best advice you've ever gotten that has really helped you over the years? Something that maybe you apply often in your current role as CEO and president? Well, I think I've, I've learned through my coaches, through my parents, um, that God's gift to you uh, is life. And your present back to him is what you do with the God-given talents he's blessed you with. So it's important that people never give up, always give your best, always try and maximize your potential. And if you do that, you know, you're going to be successful individually, but any team you're on or any business you're in or any, any endeavor you're involved in collectively, that organization is going to be better for it. So I think that's the main thing that I've learned in my life. That's uh, cer certainly good advice, Gary. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we know you're busy. Thanks also for all you do for the game of college football. Uh, as we talked about, not only do you run the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, but you do so many other things that are impactful in Atlanta. You have the Chick-fil-A kickoff games. Uh, really do a lot to promote the game of football. So really, uh, really appreciate that. Thank you for all you do. Well, it's it's been a passion for me to give back to uh, college athletics uh, because I'm one of those guys that, yeah, I never got a chance to play pro, but I got the opportunity to have a scholarship, albeit in basketball, and I wouldn't have gone to college with the amount of money my parents were making if not for that opportunity. So it's my way to get back. And, you know, I want to compliment you with your leadership of the bowl season. You've taken us to a new level with, uh, you know, the opportunity to work with you in Under Armour when we brought the Hall of Fame to Atlanta and your give back there to make the hall of fame something special. So really appreciate you and what you're doing and uh, making college football better for everybody. So thank Thanks, you. Gary. Appreciate that. And that'll do it for this week's podcast. And this also concludes season two of bowl season stories. If you missed any of this year's 20 episodes, you can catch them on Spotify, Apple music, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. If you like today's show, we'd appreciate you dropping a five-star rating and as always, you can follow all the bowl season news on our website, bowlseason.com, and on social media at Bowl Season. Thanks for listening. Ah!